Welcome to, hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot podcast brought to you by Crack Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin, and joining me on today's podcast, we have two very special guests. Uh, you'll remember our first guest from his last podcast. I apologize, and just so you know in advance, both of our producers, Daniel Westoff and Max Fligner, out this weekend. Fligner has just finished his tennis season, and so he's doing God knows what at Dartmouth, and our very other special producer, Daniel Westoff, is serving as the best man for one of Crack Racket's own, Alex Arise's wedding. So keep in mind, there will be no editing of this podcast. It's live. We're going fluid. We'll do the best we can, but there will be some stuttering. And speaking of stuttering, I was trying to introduce this guest. You will remember him from his last appearance on the podcast where he made some shameful predictions about this NCAA tournament. He's on Twitter as College Tennis Ranks and he's Mississippi State's number one fan. Chris Halioris, hey, great shot. Hey, thanks Alex, but I thought the only shameful pick was that Michigan first round pick. But, <laughs> but other than that, I, you know, I thought it was pretty good. The only shameful thing was that this is our third introduction and that I had to delete the first two because we screwed up so many times. But it is nice to get the podcast started and I very much appreciate that you're taking the time to come back on. You and I finally got the chance to watch some college tennis together yesterday, so I look forward to talking about it now. Yes, absolutely, and it's fun that we're all here uh, in person together, not uh, doing this over over the phone or the internet. As I mentioned yesterday, you're even better looking than your voice indicated. (laughs) (laughs) That's not hard. So it's nice to have you back here. I do want to bring in our second guest because he is making his first appearance on the Great Shot podcast. But if you've been following CrackedRackets.com, you know he's probably our most frequent writer on the website. He is a college tennis guru brother of a Duke tennis player, and North Carolina's very own Matt Stachowiak. See, the W is a V. Hey, great shot. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Definitely happy to be here with uh, you and Chris, and uh, I feel like it's a long time coming. I know. We've been meeting. It's like a meeting of the minds. We're finally bringing together. It's Churchill. It's FDR. It's uh, all the big things. Here here comes the political references again. (laughs) You'll notice I only got through two people, though, before stuttering. So (laughs) I need to brush up on my facts. But the people don't care about my knowledge of history. They care about the college tennis. And that is what we have been watching this weekend. The three of us are here in Winston-Salem in the media press room. And I have to say, as a 22-year-old, Matt, you're 23, right? This is the. I mean, not that. No, we, no, we can stop yeah. before we add, <laughs> before we add them both together and don't get to me exactly. yet. Exactly, but this is. I mean, it's a beautiful setup. We can't thank the school enough, and we're finally playing some outdoor tennis too. So we're really getting to see the Winston Salem experience and getting to enjoy it all. And it's been a ton of fun so far. What do you guys think? Oh, I, I love it. Even even though we had to go, uh, you and I obviously went yesterday over to Chapel Hill. The whole area has been. I mean, it's great. I like it. It's the outdoors now. I can't. Can't wait to get out there and watch some more tennis and hoping that for sure we get it tomorrow. What about you, Matt? What yeah, you, I, you know, I, I agree with what Chris said there. I'm, I'm from around this area, so I'm familiar with you know, the facilities here and everything, but uh, it's been great. Constant action, so having a great time, and uh, hopefully we can stay outdoors for a little bit now. And, you know, as Chris mentioned, him and I shipped off to Chapel Hill yesterday, a nice hour and a half drive on top of the nine and a half it took me to get here, so I really enjoyed that, as you can imagine. But yeah, Chapel Hill was very nice. You know, it's, it helps that there are a ton of great schools here for college tennis and there are facilities everywhere. So we were able to get through the matches. It's nice to be back in one site, though. Now 10 minutes from the hotel. It's an easy drive over. It, it's a comfortable day. And, you know, you can just there's this feeling on the ground today, the first one where all of the teams are here. You can tell everyone's excited. 
Yeah, yeah. And including including Alex for our listeners, <laughs> I have to, I have to say that as we walked in, he was just in awe of the facilities, dragging behind, going, "Excuse me, guys, while I take this all in." And it's it is it's really a tremendous facility here. We got a good look at the football field and the and the you know all the the jerseys and everything as we walk downstairs here. I was um, gonna say I've been to the big house, and even then, seeing an empty football stadium gets me every time. And Wake Forest has a beautiful one here. This whole Winston Salem grounds just gorgeous and. It's great to be here, but enough, you know, ogling at the scenery. Let's get into the tennis because there really was some incredible tennis yesterday. You know, we've said this now for the third time, but there's been a ton of rain here in North Carolina, and it seems like that's going to be a theme all weekend long. What they've done the first two days is send half the teams, generally it's the lower-seeded matchup of the time slot, out to Chapel Hill to play at the North Carolina courts. The other teams have been playing here at Wake Forest. Obviously, there's only one of me, so I wasn't able to get to both sites. That's why we've got Matt and Chris here. Chris was with me in Chapel Hill where we got to watch my Wolverines. We got to watch his Mississippi State Bulldogs. Got to see a t- you know four good matches of tennis while Matt was here covering the Winston-Salem matches, so all of the top seeds. So we're kind of going to shift back and forth between the two conversations. Of course, everyone will give their opinions on the match results, but what we're going to do is we're going to break down these results by time slot. We'll start with the morning matches and work our way through the night. Obviously, that means starting with the USC thriller over UNC and then Florida's escaping of 4-3 against SEC rival Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, so you know, let's get right into the action We'll start with match number one of the day. That's USC and UNC. For this match, I actually came here to pick up my press credentials, so the one comment I really want to make going in, oh my gosh, is Will Blumberg a big boy. That guy's an athlete. Yeah, he is. You know, I've, I've been following Will all season long. I've seen him play many, many times, and the guy can just flat out play. He's a big boy, moves well, big and strong, and yeah, you know, if you haven't seen him in person, it's... Uh, it's quite it a sight. There is something to that. You know, I haven't seen a lot of these guys play in person, and Chris, you have, so that's why I want to ask you about this. You look at a Will Blumberg, to me, a guy who also stuck out, Martin Red, like he's just a big guy, strong, hits the ball with such force, and you see these guys in person, and there really is, a, I want to say, the top athletes, you can just tell, even with their physique, it's a cut above some of the other guys here. Oh, for sure, and, and I think it's two different things when you talk about how Wait, a how hard how hard they hit the ball and b how big they are. But I, we'll get into it a little later. But I'll say that by far my biggest shock at looking at the size of somebody yesterday was Alex Brown from Illinois. I thought you were gonna say that Alex guy's Gruskin. a t- that guy's a tight end. Well, other than Alex Gruskin, <laughs> another hundred pounds maybe, and uh, Alex Brown, and it's not a hundred pounds of offensive lineman. It's, an, it's another hundred pounds of Tony Gonzalez tight end type material. Him and that guy Johnson, is huge. Both huge guys, and to yeah. watch them face off for Illinois TCU was a great matchup. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I agree with you. The physiques are incredible. Let's talk about this match. Matt, you were here. You saw USC escape with the doubles point in that match. Two doubles was won by USC 6-4. And then there were two tiebreakers to decide one in three doubles. You know, you were watching these. Could you tell from the get-go it was going to come down to a close double set where there are a lot of holds? Yeah, there, there definitely was, Alex. And it was one of those doubles points where you could just tell everybody was into it. UNC and and uh, USC, and so they came out came out flying um, tight the whole way. Uh, both teams were playing great, and uh, yeah, it, it was as tight as could be, one of the best doubles points I've actually seen in person all year. 
in going into this match, we talked about it, Chris, in our preview, but we thought it was going to come down to whoever could take three doubles because at one, you know, it's a shootout. You really think UNC with Kelly and Blumberg, who are ranked number two in the country, Holton Smith for USC, number 10 in the country, that's going to go either way. And so you thought USC was really favored at two doubles, and if, you know, they could come up with three, they could steal a doubles point, and it looks like that's what happened. It was, and I actually caught. I did have managed to catch the uh, the doubles point over there before I headed to, to to Chapel Hill. And the one thing that caught me was I was watching the end of that three doubles match, thinking those guys that looked like a one doubles match. There were just all four guys, great hands, unbelievable. Yeah, and you know I wasn't there, but what, did you see that just the high level play all yeah, around? Absolutely, Tanner Smith from USC was phenomenal. Huge serves, and uh, you know Cookerman at the net, just all over the place. It was a high level match for for a core three. Quick tangent for both of you. Obviously, your brother plays for Duke, but in your case, Chris, you have a nephew who plays for Mississippi State. Would you? Or sorry, let me rephrase that. Were if you were the coach of Mississippi State, do you think he would have come there? Would he have played like the Smiths play for Coach Smith at USC? Would you have ever allowed that? I would never play for my uncle or my dad. I couldn't do it. I'd lose my mind. Well, yeah, it's funny. We, I don't. I think even when they do, and I have no idea what the relationship with the Smiths are, right? But but I know in the SEC you got Manny Diaz at Georgia, right? And his son plays on the team. And I know reading some quotes from him this year where he's kind of like, yeah, I just that's Jamie's job. I back <laughs> off, right? I coach everybody else. Jamie gets gets Alex, right? I don't. It, I think it has to be that way. Yeah, I would imagine that that would be, you know, for me, I think it would be tough, you know, to have to have my dad as the coach just because that relationship, you know, it's more of a father-son rather than the player-coach. So, you know, I don't know exactly how that would work, but uh, yeah, definitely an interesting dynamic there. And it's a testament to Coach Smith that he has both of his sons, Riley and Tanner, in the doubles lineup really feeding on the energy. You know, I've seen the highlights, and you could tell it was loud inside Wake Forest. I feel like it was a packed crowd. There was not much room to see. And you'd think that the UNC guys would benefit from that crowd because a lot of people made the drive from Chapel Hill. But USC, it seems like throughout this match, came up with the big points. Yeah, they definitely did. And the crowd was certainly on the Tar Heels' side. So, you know, that was one of the things that I thought was going to be in their advantage. But, uh, you know, the Trojans, even though they didn't have as much crowd support, they really came out firing in singles as well. Carolina got up on a lot of the courts, but, you know, real quickly, you could sense that that was going to turn around on courts two, four, and five specifically. Uh, Carolina got out to big leads. But before they could shut the door, the Trojans were coming back, and, and I knew kind of at that point that the flip was script, uh, the script was flipping a little bit. Uh, so yeah, the energy I thought from the Trojans was unbelievable from the start. So since you were there, Matt, tell tell me exactly what happened on court four because Gruskin here has his man crush. <laughs> his man crush is, is Robert Kelly, and he was he he could praise all his swagger. And I and I and I thought that I'd heard Kelly because I wasn't here had a lead, but uh, I had heard that. both Kelly and Seguin were up four, four or five two in the first sets. That's correct. So both Ben Seguin and Robert Kelly were up five two in the first sets, and you know they were really dominating. They weren't having much trouble. They were winning the big points. And I heard looked, two deuce points back-to-back went to Kelly for 5-2. Exactly. And it looked as though, you know, those guys were going to close those sets. You know, I thought for sure. But really, both Kukerman and Verboven for USC did a phenomenal job of just, you know, staying the course, not getting too down on themselves. 
and were able to really kind of dig in and fight through it. And both of them ended up working their way back in the first sets to win them 7-5. So they both were able to win five games in a row in those sets to, to really steal the sets, in my opinion. And USC ends up taking three first sets when you take that doubles point. It's so important. At number one singles, really a great match. You have Will Blumberg of UNC, who's number three in the country, but as Chris and I have discussed, not, not afraid to call him the best player in the country. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Versus Brandon Holt, a guy who we've seen play at the highest levels of college tennis, who's been playing number one for USC for two years. And Blumberg really blew him out. And when you were looking at a recipe for this UNC's team, you know, it always starts with Blumberg at one. And so for him to get the win and for them to not rally around that, just so disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Blumberg came out extremely well. And, and Holt, like you said, Alex, is a phenomenal player. But Will was able to kind of impose his physicality a little bit and really just, you know, used his strength to kind of muscle Holt around the court a little bit. So, um, you know, he definitely had his way. And usually when, when Blumberg has his way, the Tar Heels kind of follow suit and they win a lot of matches. But, you know, this was really the first time all year that I saw them not respond to adversity the way that we have kind of been accustomed to seeing. So it was definitely a shocking result for me. And you look at that, it's because when you lose a senior class like a Ronnie Schneider, a Jack Murray, guys who have been so integral to the program, it is hard to rebound. I had high expectations for this UNC team, as you know, and it's you know upsetting to see them go away. But I want to ask you, Chris, I believe when we did our preview, you said Forge at five was a favorite? You, or you just well, said USC it was, at five? It was, well, because I had I had actually missed Forge in the lineup, and I had Riley Smith. And I actually thought Riley Smith was going to, would beat Boyden uh, at five. But indeed, Riley ended up playing six and actually lost to Matt Kiger, right? So... Uh, but they did get, but USC did get the win at five. It just wasn't who I yeah, thought it was going to be. Yeah, shows what we know. But still, <laughs> a good preview, and again, that's a great result for USC. Now in the quarterfinals, they match up with UCLA, who knocked off my Michigan Wolverines 4-2 yesterday in Chapel Hill. I was at this moment from the first ball, and, oh, wow, what a match. I had never seen UCLA play in person, and God damn, are they good. Oh, just such a high level of doubles. Yeah, and and I and I, I would imagine that your Michigan guys are indoor players as well, coming from where they are. And you wouldn't think, being Southern Cal, that UCLA would. But when I walked in, you know, I got there midway through, right? Uh, and the first thing I saw was Keegan Smith and Maxine Cressy, just, and holy crap, they hit the snot out of the ball. It's just not even fair when they're bombing indoor serves. And you know what's amazing? You say Cressy, you say Smith. You didn't even mention Martin Redlicky. Martin Redlicky hits the ball harder than any of them. Yeah. I mean, if I'm talking about day one and who I think was the most impressive player I saw, and again, I only saw half of the draw, but it's Martin Redlicky. His forehand as a weapon, his serve as a weapon, and for those who don't know, Martin is a lefty. And when you're just, even when he's playing Alex Knight of Michigan at one singles, who's also lefty, it didn't matter because he would open up the court, he would sit on the forehand, and like you mentioned, indoor tennis, one-two tennis is so much easier to produce. And yeah, Red Licky was all over him. Cressy was unbreakable indoors. Keegan Smith, a little bit crazy. Uh, I mean, he's a freshman. You can tell he works through a lot of his emotions on the court, but just hits the snot out of the ball. He's so talented at three. Yes, those three big guys really propelled UCLA forward. And you look at these results, they take the doubles point. And yes, it's Red Licky, Smith, and Cressy who take advantage of the indoors and win. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, it it was fun fun tennis to watch. Great I mean, match. great great indoor tennis, and and you know, I'll, I'll give your guys props. Probably closer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I mean, Michigan took them. We were right there. Took them down we, to the wire. This is on we. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Gruskin was on court. It was unbelievable. I was so sure Crocker was going to beat Hans at six because for some reason Hans's forehand just kind of sat indoors. I don't know. And so Crocker's ability to take it on the rise. He had taken the second set six four was holding 3-2 on serve in the, in the third, but I thought just him being the senior, he was prepared for that big moment. But yeah, in the end, Keegan Smith, too good at three singles. Uh, I'm sorry for not letting you get a word in, Matt, but this is my team. Obviously, I was glued to this one. The other thing I have to say, and I've watched him now for five years, so I just want to say, Leo Hua, the two singles player from Michigan, put together the best performance I have seen out of him. And to do that in your last day on the job as a senior, you know, to beat Evan Zhu, a sophomore but highly touted, has had pro victories, ranked 81 in the country, to beat him 6-1-2-6-6-1, the level of tennis was just ridiculous. And go check out our Twitter account. I got some videos of the matchup there. Phenomenal tennis, and it's part of the reason college tennis is just so fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. And and it, you know, I wasn't there, but it does look like this was a great match to be at. And, you know, let's not forget, guys, that, you know, we think of UCLA as kind of an outdoor team, but they actually did make the finals of the national team indoors. Very true. So these guys play outdoors a lot, but they can absolutely play indoors with those big guys that you mentioned. So, I, I you know, I think their games are, are well suited to the indoor courts. For sure. Yeah, and just, you know, we've talked about this match enough. Obviously, I got to give my rant, but UCLA doubles-wise, they look really solid. And as you've mentioned, with the weather being in flux, this is a team that can play indoors, that can play outdoors. They really look good moving forward. Uh, I don't know. Chris, do you have any more thoughts about this match because you were also there? Did I miss anything? No, I don't think you missed anything. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I, I was, I, I'll have to admit, I was I, I was kind of pulling for your guys just because I wanted to see them come through. Yeah. But uh, And it was a great – I mean, I it did – and when I saw that finish of Watt, too, uh, I thought, wow, if, if Shallot can just get, I mean, just hold on. If he can just get there, but Keegan Smith was just, I mean, that, as a freshman, that, that kid impressed me. I mean, he he came up so big in that third set. Just the serve was unbelievable. And Shallot was hitting serves, and Smith was inside the baseline, taking him on the rise and just popping winners against Shallot, who was trying to serve in volley. Yeah, this UCL. UCLA team is a lot better than I expected them to be, and I expected them to be very good. You can just see these guys are ready to play. Okay, I want to do this quickly, and we got in trouble in our last pod, Chris, when we made too many projections, so we'll you know, we'll try and do it less so this time. But as we mentioned, USC, UCLA, I believe this will be the fourth time they're playing this season, and I think UCLA has beaten them all three times, twice in the regular season, once at Pac-12 tournament. So UCLA, obviously the prohibitive favorite in this instance. But this USC team, is hot. They are an experienced team compared to UCLA where you have Hanson Smith who are both freshmen and Zoo's a sophomore. It, although then again Staggs, Cressy, Redlicky all been there before. But you know we have the UTRs in front of us. Chris you're the UTR wizard. Who's your favorite heading into this? Well so on paper you have to like UCLA and after what I saw I have to like UCLA, but we're staring at the UTRs, right? And it looks like it's a, basically a dead. It's three on one side, three on the other. So uh, now I'll say based on the weather forecast, anything, you know, it can change. They've already moved the early matches tomorrow up to 10 a.m., uh, trying to get them in outdoors. The weather looks good for early in the morning. So I think it'll be outdoors and maybe take away if that's really an indoor advantage to the UCLA guys. And 
it, it's a dead heat. They beat them three times, so you got to make them the favorite. But USC looked really good too. Yeah, and and they did, and I really liked what I saw out of the Trojans uh, yesterday against UNC. But I, I picked UCLA to make the finals of this event, so I'm gonna stick with my pick. I think the Bruins are gonna win a close, close four-three match, um, and I think really at the end of the day, it may come down to the doubles point. Could, I could not agree more with you, and I, I hate to cut you off, but you talk about that USC. For them to get the confidence to win the doubles point against a very good UNC doubles team, uh, that has to be so crucial. And if they can get the momentum, get that doubles point against UCLA, it's so hard at this level to win four singles matches against any team. And so, yeah, you're absolutely, I agree with you. That doubles point is going to be crucial. Uh, as you mentioned, up and down the lineup, all these singles guys are so close. They all have to know each other's games by now. I think Smith and Hans is interesting. I was not as impressed with Hans as I thought I'd be. Just I thought he was such a good freshman. I think Smith is a good matchup for him. I, I agree with you, Alex. Smith is is a heck of a lot bigger. Big boy. Big boy. So, you know, Hans is definitely, uh, he doesn't have the size advantage there. And, you know, they're both great players, but I, I think on that specific court, I'm going to give the edge to Smith. Fast, hard courts. You know, Hans is going to do his best to grind his way through it, but uh, I like the big guy in that matchup. So then last thought on this, what is the recipe for each team to win, Chris? Well, I think they both probably have to be saying we need dubs because they're looking at a really good possibility of splitting the singles uh, three and three. So I think dubs, and I think... It, especially if it's outdoors. I'm definitely indoors going to have to give the advantage at one to Red Licky. But I think outdoors, that could be the swing match up at, at number one because that could that could go either way. So I think dubs and one, for me, are going to be the two key matches. Well, you know, I took an extra vacation day just so I could stay for these quarterfinal matches because I am amped. I agree with you guys. This is going to be a close one. You have to love that two rivals had to fly all the way to North Carolina just to play this match. It's a little bit funny. To me, the key matchup is going to be five, Cressy versus Forger. Cressy looked just unbreakable yesterday. He played so well, whether it was in doubles, whether it was in singles, really taking it to Carter Lynn. If it's an indoor match, as you mentioned, Red Licky, Smith, Cressy, so many big serves. I have to like the Bruins. Outdoors, I'm still going to give it to the Bruins. I agree. I'm going to agree with you guys. Since North, both of my teams, North Carolina and Michigan, are out, this is the exact matchup I didn't want. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stick with the higher seed. We'll go with UCLA. But, okay, let's move on to our second batch of matches from the day. Another Big Ten school, Ohio State. They ended up taking on Minnesota, and they kind of really handled the Gophers, it seems like, with ease 4-1. What did you see, Matt? Yeah, they, they definitely did. You know, Minnesota – both, both rivals, Big Ten schools, they know each other well. It's kind of similar to the UCLA and USC dynamic that we were just uh, discussing. But Ohio State really kind of asserted their dominance from the start of this. You know, Minnesota was fighting, and you could see that they were going to scrap and claw their way in this match. But the Buckeyes just – there was a little bit of a talent discrepancy there. You know, Ohio State is so good, and they kind of came out. I, I thought Coach Tucker had them prepared. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't messing around. It was, it was a good doubles point, um, but you could always kind of tell throughout the entire point that Ohio State just had 
one more gear that they could go to if they needed to. So I want to bring up a story you mentioned before we started recording. This was of Martin Joyce serving indoors. And to quote you, he hit about three or four 140, bomb, 140 mile per hour serving just bombs. He had to have. I, I was. I couldn't believe I was sitting right behind the court and the noise that <laughs> came off of his racket. I mean, it's, it sounded a, like a gunshot. A good I mean, pop. A good pop. Somewhere and, Max Rothman is sitting saying, I can still outserve him, but go yeah, on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, uh, Joyce definitely had the serve going in dubs. That's that's for sure. It was, uh, had to be well over 130 yeah, indoors. And, and just in terms of anything result-wise we see from this match, Chris, anything point out to you that we should watch as a trend moving forward? Well, the, the only thing that, that caught me in, I think from the, from the last matchup that these two played, Wolf and McNally lost to, to the Minnesota guys, and Wolf again went down the first set here. So, uh, you know, if anything, maybe, uh, you know, I'm, of course I have to be looking into this match, looking for a weakness. I'm trying to find one uh, for my guys. I don't know where it is, but you're thinking, well, okay, maybe maybe we're really strong at two. J.J. Wolf's a great player, but, you know, maybe he's not playing great right now. He, he just in dropping that set, but they really did. There were some close sets, but they just looked so good. They were winning sets everywhere. I'm not sure how you beat them. I agree with you. The only thing I would point out in this match, and this was something we mentioned in the preview as well, Tim Siebert out of the lineup. They went with Selig at four, Joyce at five, Tubert at six. Tubert's guy who plays three doubles for them, and him and Mendez, really solid three doubles pairing. A guy they trust to step in at six singles. I know he's done it throughout the year. Uh, this will be an interesting trend to look at moving forward. Do you think this is their best lineup, or you know, UTR-wise, do you go with a Siebert above a Tubert? Wow, I don't. I mean, I'm not sure it's their yeah, tough choice. I'm not sure Tucker. it is their best lineup. I kind of you know Joyce lost at five versus at six, where you think he's never going to lose. Which really shocked me because I actually thought you know I kind of thought if if it was my lineup, putting really stacking the best players, that Joyce is really four. But then he goes and loses to Jackson Allen at five. We I had the Seelig Joyce debate a different day. I, yeah. I think Seelig is the option for. But I don't. I don't know if they if they're going to pull Siebert again or not. I get you know we'll have to wait till tomorrow morning and find out. See, I think Siebert needs to be in the lineup at four because what that does is it allows Seelig and Joyce to slide down and fill those five and six spots. And I just I I really can't see them losing. So counterpoint to that. If, if I was a coach, I would challenge that. I would say Siebert is not a higher quality. Look at the results this year. Look at the success Joyce and Seelig have had at the bottom of the lineup. Look at how Siebert struggled at the national indoors, has struggled a little bit this year. You wonder if that was something, did they get challenged on? You know, we have media passes. We could find that out. Yeah, I don't think there was. I, I thought I had heard that there might have been two. Uh, I thought Bobby Knight had said at one point there were two challenges. I think the Reinberg was one, and I don't know who the other was, but... Um, Obviously, it, it, whether it was or not, it, went, it, it, it matter, went through. Right? Yeah, it didn't matter. The other so. one, I think, was uh, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, you're was, right. It was. Um, it was with Oatsbach and Birch. Exactly. Yeah. Meeting of the minds. I yeah. love it. So, <laughs> that was a moment. Yeah, I don't think anybody actually challenged the Seabert, uh, you know, at, at number four. Uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. Again, we've mentioned this a lot. Ohio State playing Minnesota, they had to be comfortable. That's a nice match to get your bearings in when you're trying to get accustomed to the site. You move indoors. Both of these schools are Big Ten teams. So that doesn't really change anything. If anything, it you know prevents the elements from playing a factor. And so Ohio State really cruised. They look very good. Look, moving into tomorrow's match against your Mississippi State Bulldogs, Mississippi State ends up in a closer match than the score reveals, beating number 11 seed Texas 4-1. Uh, you know, this is your team, Chris. So the next three minutes, all you. All me, huh? So the first, without even looking at the screen, Alex, 
Who is the number one doubles team in the country? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna guess Nuno. Yeah, guess yeah after you fawned over over Blumberg and Kelly uh, about being the best doubles team, I had to bring up who the number one ranked team uh, in the in the country was. But but yeah, as as I kind of had said in our in our preview that they've been, they've played some uh, some great doubles this year. Uh, Mississippi State has, and and it was a it was a very tight. Uh, Tight doubles match, but they man they did ma- they they did manage to pull away in the end with the doubles point, which was huge. And the guys, uh, you know, Gio was just unbelievable at two. The first set, Ito, Ito's a great player. It didn't it didn't matter what Ito did. Gio just slapped every ball for a winner. Serving unreal, hitting forehands unreal. His backhand cross court serve return unreal. I mean, he just he couldn't miss, and ended up closing his match out in straight sets. Uh, we got up three one <clears throat> after Strali finished finished a match on on three, and then we lost a match on five. It was three one, and as you mentioned, almost like the Michigan uh, Notre Dame match in the in the quarters. That was a four zero tight match. This was a four zero one super tight match. We're up three one, but we're down a break in all three of the remaining matches in the third set. And at that point, I'm going, oh no, this is here we go again, <laughs> right? And it's yeah, it's not it's not looking good, and uh, and. It flipped every two minutes. It flipped at one point. Trevor and Nick were down a break, and Nuno was on serve. Two minutes later, it's the exact opposite. Nuno's down a break, and Trevor and Nick are back on serve. And it was uh, it was a battle of breaks. And, and in the end, uh, Trevor goes from being down 2-4 in the third, winning four straight games, uh, breaks to win at 15-40 uh, on six to, to get a 4-1 win. And the other two matches are still going. It's you know it was a very very close four one match. And we should give a congratulations to you because if our listeners don't know Trevor Fauche, did I yep. say that? Yeah, he's the number six singles player for Mississippi State. Is your nephew, and of course it has to feel good to see him clinch the match. That's always got to be special. So that's awesome. Oh yeah, that's like two in a row. I get the <laughs> SEC when it's on on the SEC network where he gets to clinch, and then the first one here. It's been yeah, it's been a great and couple. And you are weeks. a celebrity when we're walking around. You're introducing us to Ryan Harrison's sister. You're saying hello to everyone. They're shaking the hand, kissing the ring. So again, <laughs> as long as your team keeps winning, it should be a good thing. You know, I look forward really to watching Ohio State tested tomorrow versus Mississippi State. You talk about an SEC team who will be used to this type of weather outside where it's humid, it's muggy, uh, there's wind every so often, but a lot of heat in the air. And Ohio State is an indoors team, probably haven't had the opportunity to play outdoors as much. You know, you're looking at this match, given what you saw from Mississippi State yesterday versus the result we've seen from Ohio State, how confident are you feeling, Chris? Oh, it's hard to feel real confident when you're playing Ohio State, but I, I of course, I'm going to take the stance that you did with your with your Wolverines and go, ah, F it, I'm taking the Bulldogs. <laughs> so, so I don't know how we, I mean, obviously, it needs to be an outdoor match for us. I mean, we don't want to play indoors, really, if we can avoid it. Uh, you know, we, we play primarily outdoors. They play a lot indoors. So for us to, to match up well, we want to be outdoors. And then, uh, you know, I think the recipe is you t- you got to take dubs. Uh, even though it's Torpegard, you can never count Nuno out. Gio at two is hitting Unreal. We just got done watching him practice, and again, he's beating the heck out of the ball. Uh, so I go, you know, I'll go back to probably looking at let's get Dubs one, two, and and find one more. And you know, when you got four other matches, you can find one. And if we can do that, it's possible. Yeah, I think this has the potential to be a, a great match. Uh, you know, if it's outdoors, that does favor the Bulldogs. And 
you know, the more I look at this, I actually thought Mississippi State might be on upset alert against Texas. I was very impressed with the way that they came through that match. I'm going to be looking specifically towards the match on court one. Um, I just I think this match could be epic between Nuno and, and Torp. So I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's possible that that match may decide uh, the total outcome. And I'll also be interested to see what lineup Ohio State plays. Do they stick with Tubert at six, or do they bring Siebert back in at four? That we'll have to see, and I think I think that may make a difference. I'm going to go on record and say if Siebert comes back and plays four and Joyce and Selig slide down, I'm going to pick Ohio State, but I think if, if they stick with Tubert, I think the Bulldogs have a good chance at an upset. You see, this is why I like doing the podcast with Rothman, because with you two smart guys who take all the points, you guys covered everything. I completely <laughs> agree with you. I think McNally at three is the only, is really the only favorite I feel comfortable with. That's also because I have lost to John McNally, and he hooked me, so I know he's willing to do <laughs> whatever it takes to win. So I'm going to take McNally. I agree. Whoever gets the doubles point is going to have just that much more of an advantage. I've seen Ohio State perform in past NCAA tournaments. I've seen them get to the semis. I've seen them get to the finals. I know they're ready for this big moment. I want to pick them, but I would never be that disrespectful to a guest <laughs> in our own place. You picked Ohio State. You picked That's Mississippi right. State. I'm going to take a pass on oh, No, I'm completely oh. kidding. Just kidding. Give me the Buckeyes 4-2. Go Big Ten, baby. Go Big oh, Ten. Oh. <laughs> so disrespected. Never coming back again. I was going to say, if I'm wrong, you get to stick it to us tomorrow. <laughs> so that's the real joy of doing this. Okay, let's move on now to our next half of the draw. These were the night matches, and you know there was a lot of good tennis. I want to go back to Wake Forest with you, Matt, because we finally saw the number one overall seed get out there. They take out Columbia 4-1 a home match, this is them, number one overall seed. There's got to be a ton of pressure. Everyone's out there. How did this Wake Forest team come out? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was interested to see, you know, behind the home crowd and everything, the crowd was fantastic. They really came out and supported uh, the Deeks, and, and the atmosphere was amazing. But I, I had my eye on it because, you know, I, they're playing Columbia, who we know is a very good indoor team. Obviously, the match was indoors, so I was interested in that dynamic. And uh, they just came out ready to go. I think Coach Bresky had them prepared uh, mentally. You know, it, it obviously showed that they didn't take the Lions lightly. And, you know, they came out in dubs and, and kind of stuck it to them. So it was uh, a pretty dominant performance, I'd say, overall by the Deeks. Even though Columbia had some bright spots, um, you know, especially with uh, court five, Austin Wang played excellent on court five for Columbia, and he was able to come away uh, with a big win for them. But uh, the Deeks in front of their raucous crowd really showed up, and uh, it, it was a good match. But Wake, Wake is looking good. So, did, good. so you were there? Did in the I was I was watching the scores from from Chapel Hill, and I saw that Columbia actually managed to take three first sets in singles, which still kept it fairly tight on paper, right? But did the Deeks just still kind of look like they were just going about their business and had it under control even at that? They they did. You know, it was um, you know a couple of the courts kind of got away quickly. Court two, Petros played extremely well for Wake. Petros so. is 
beast. Yeah. And if you haven't, go check out our interview with him on crackedinterviews.com, our first shameless plug of the podcast. Sorry, Matt, carry on. Absolutely. He uh, he played phenomenal, got off to a little bit of a slow start. He was actually down love two in that match and then won uh, 12 out of the next 13 games for a 6-3-6 love win. So he played well, and Columbia was able to steal a couple of first sets, but you you know, I was there and you could always tell that Wake was really still in control and, and they weren't panicking when they lost those couple of sets. No panic at all. They, you know, they responded and, and looked, looked very good. I think you covered everything. My big takeaway, two things. One, Tim Wang is a guy who trained with me growing up. Shout outs to Tim for taking a set and, you know, not finishing, but really being out there fighting. It's always great to see a Michigan guy succeed. My second thing, and I think this is the thing I want to take away from this match, if Skander Mansouri is struggling at three, that's a big issue for Wake Forest because he is their senior leader. He's the guy who clinched the ITAs for them. He's a guy who I believe fought and maybe clinched the ACC title for them as well, a guy they always rely on to come through. And, you know, for him to lose to Jack Lynn, three, you know, or he's down 6-3, 5-all, you know, he's going to be seeing better and better players as we go along. Now they're facing Illinois. He's got to play another senior in Aaron Hiltzik, who's capable of phenomenal tennis. And we'll get into the UTR previews in a little bit. But if Skander struggles, that's an issue for them moving forward. Same thing, Christian Serafim, a guy coming back, a guy they affectionately call Dirk, you know, 6'10". He takes a loss in this match. He loses one in four. You have to wonder if you're Tony Bresky, are you thinking about pulling both him and Zlobinski from the bottom of the lineup because you have so many options down there. That's really the big thing I see from this match is what you know what changes will Bresky make moving forward. I think there's almost no to, in my mind there's almost no doubt because if we've if you've watched their lineup during the year, Tony's played a. T- ton of different lineups and he's not afraid to make a change and and for Seraphim to go down one and four I don't expect to see him at all tomorrow at tomorrow at all I expect a, a different lineup for sure yeah absolutely Chris I'm right with you there um, Seraphim you know it, it was disappointing for him to come out like that and, and definitely all credit to Austin Wang he played great but uh, Tony I think is is definitely going to be making a change I'm, I think we're all in agreement with that. I think it's it's going to help them too. Um, what you were saying, Alex, about Skander, I've watched him for four years now. He he can struggle at times, but I'm I'm pretty certain that he's gonna he's gonna bounce back from this. He didn't play his best yesterday. It was a little disappointing for him, but I'm fairly certain that he'll bounce back in a big way. The one thing I will say that's positive: this Wake Forest team and their two losses dropped the doubles point both times. They, you know, they cruised in doubles here. And you look at those lineups, Gojo Mansouri at one. You're able to drop Seraphim to three doubles. He's a guy who's been ranked as high as, I think, number one in the country in doubles. And just to have that type of depth, that's something they'll have to rely on moving forward this week. Yeah, I agree. They're still the favorites until I see someone really challenge them. And unfortunately, I haven't get, gotten to see them play yet. So I look forward to doing that tomorrow. I do want to move on to our other match at this time period. That's 8-seed Illinois versus 9-seed TCU. This is a match also played in Chapel Hill, and this was one we saw together. Chris, uh, I've talked enough, so take the first word. What did you see? Well, so I I saw that uh, what I didn't realize was that I knew TCU was missing Alistair Gray, so I I thought so. And they were really only six deep to begin with. So missing him, they were donating six in my mind. And then I find out once I get there that Bartis Kruger had a stress fracture and is also out. So now they're basically down to four guys. 
So they really needed the doubles point. And they had a match point, and it all came down to one dubs. And it was a breaker at one dubs that ended up, I don't, I don't think it was 9-7. 9-7. Like I remember they, they had, right, TCU had a match point in there. Uh, and then I think Illinois had all the remaining. Yeah, I think TCU had like three match points as well. Yeah, and, so. and when Illinois ended up getting that doubles point, I mean, you could see, and you could see from, from Dave's reaction. That first hour of singles that, as well. That they were just, that was, that was crushing. They now knew we have to win one through four. And like, yeah, and, and that first hour of singles, Illinois just, I mean, they just blitzed them in the first set everywhere. And, and it really, the focus came down to court three with Hilsick and Nunez. And you could see Rodidi was, he was planted on that court because he knew he had to get Nunez to turn that match around for them to have a chance. And, uh, and it just didn't happen. Uh, they just, you know, the guys at five and six ended up, they ended up putting up more of a fight in the second set than I expected. I mean, they both got to, to three all, four all type type uh, sets. But in the end, they, they fell in, in straight sets and it all came down. They were, look, they were looking good with Rybakov, Johnson, uh, and then you had Stalder and Nunez both kind of, eh, but it, they just couldn't turn it around. So a couple of things I want to comment on off of what you just said. Number one, with TCU being a smaller ro- or yeah, being a smaller roster than Illinois, crowd noise. Oh my gosh, this is our first real, you know, not tennis-related factoid, but I thought this was a major factor in all of these matches I've seen. These crowds have been incredible at all times. All of these matches, there have been staunch fan contingencies for each of these schools. And it's really amazing to see how fans are able to amp up their players, how these players are feeding off of the crowd, trying to pump up their, these crowd members, whether it be their teammates up there or whether it be you know the parents, all of these things. And it's been such a fun environment. And if you're in North Carolina and listening to this or just looking forward into the future, go check out these college tennis matches because they are so much fun to go to. But getting back to this Illinois TCU match, Illinois, I think, had eight to ten bench guys, or at least that's what it felt like because everywhere in the crowd, Kova Savage or A.B., A.B., all day Zeke. All oh, day Zeke. I mean, I was, or just vamosh. Like, oh my gosh. I Was I angry a little bit? But it's because it was hot and sweaty in that Chapel Hill Auditorium. But I appreciated it. I acknowledge that Brad Dancer has his team amped and ready to go. And especially, as you mentioned, TCU needing to get that doubles point to, you know, you know make the calculus to winning the match that much easier. Once Illinois got them down, that first hour of singles, so much energy, Brad's, you know, making sure there's a lot of noise in the building so that they can use that momentum, kind of put their foot down on TCU. And as you mentioned, credit to TCU, Rybakov, Johnson, and Stalder put together a great, you know, second hour of tennis. And you look at Dave Rodini's post-match comments. He says he's disappointed he wasn't able to get his team over that doubles point loss. And it's like you mentioned, after TCU lost that doubles point, it was kind of over. You know, Rybakov and Nunez were right there. They really should have taken that. At one point, Rybakov had a sitter on a match point or as a return. So it was a little quick and it was a little low, but you've got to make that volley, especially when it's NCAA round 16s. And as you mentioned, once they lost that doubles point, Illinois, just too much depth. You know, Kofa Savage, again, last time I'll ever say his last name, looked really <laughs> good at four, you know, hitting the ball. Zeke Clark getting to every ball at five, just grinding out there. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see much of six, but then up top, you know, 
AB, as you mentioned, a behemoth. He's like six foot six, just so impressive. And he was really, really, really solid too. I think Hiltzik's phenomenal at three, and then Vukic Rybakov is as good of a match in college tennis as you'll get. Yeah, and I, and I tweeted out, you know, I think during the match there that I, I am not a fan of the sleeveless shirt in college tennis. But I guess if I had guys that look more like a football team yeah, than they did a tennis team and I wanted to intimidate some guys, I might go with the sleeveless shirts too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my takeaways from this match, I didn't see it, but uh, it's not a shocking result to me at all. I picked Illinois to win this match. I just thought TCU was probably going to get dubs. Um, so that may have been really the only surprise, but it just, it, it appears like, you know, after TCU dropped that really tough, tough doubles point after having match points on court one that, you know, they got deflated because they knew it was going to be, you know, almost an impossible climb back into that match. So, um, you know, not a surprising result and, uh, We'll see what Illinois can do going forward against Wake. Well, you talk about the doubles point and looking forward to their match with Wake Forest tomorrow. I think that's going to be so crucial. And if I'm Illinois, I'm not feeling that confidence in my performance from yesterday. They looked okay, you know, at three doubles to have a player of Alex Vukic, who's top ten in the country, a senior, to have a player of that quality on the court. You're always going to be in the match. But then you look at the depth and Wake Forest, all of those pairings. I think they're a prohibitive favorite at two doubles. You know, Hiltzik's good, but I just, I, I don't think him and Kofasevich just have enough to really do anything. When you have Petros Risokos on the course and just this experience in the Wake Forest crowd, you have to think Wake Forest is favored in the doubles. And if Illinois is incapable of getting that doubles point, I don't see a recipe for them to get four singles matches. Chris, again, you're the UTR wizard. What do you see? I, it, four singles matches will be tough for sure. The, the only thing that I'll say from a, from a doubles standpoint, and I think Illinois has got to take doubles to do it, is I'm not a huge fan of the doubles lineups that Wake has thrown out there because I watched them last year and Seraphim and Mansuri together Those are guys unreal. Yeah. And why... They don't have them together. I mean, it, it bothers me just a little bit that those two guys aren't still playing together because they're just, to me, they're unbreakable. I mean, it, it's almost impossible. In a one-set match against those two, you don't break them. Now, and I think Illinois has got to be really pleased with the fact that Chakravarti and, and Brown took Rybakov and Nunez, who I think are like the number six-ranked doubles team, in, and they, they, they beat them, right? So those guys played really well. So if they can turn that kind of performance in uh, against number one, and they can, I think they will have to steal one doubles to get it and then get one of the other two. If they get the doubles point, I, I say they, they have a shot because I like their chances. Whoever five and six are, I'll give Illinois for Wake. I'll give Illinois you know, the, the puncher's chance there for sure. So if they can get five, six, and dubs, now they're up to, hey, find one more. And like you said, Hiltzik, I'll Hiltzik at three. Over Mansuri. Uh, over Mansuri. I'll, based on what I've seen, I'll take that. Well, I have to say, if this match goes indoors, you have to be more confident in Wake Forest than you would be in TCU. TCU is not a team that plays indoors often. And I think it wasn't maybe this year or the year before where they didn't even qualify for the national indoor event. So that this match was inside gave Illinois a distinct advantage. I think, again, you talk about the depth with Wake Forest, so many options. And I want to ask you, Matt, because you saw this, the difference between Gojo and Mansuri at one and Seraphim and Dempster at three, was it discernible or are they all just phenomenal players? It's really hard to tell. You know, they're all phenomenal players. And, and like Chris mentioned, I when, when Tony first made the move of splitting uh, Mansuri and Seraphim, 
I questioned it as well, you know, because they were at one point last year ranked number one in the country, Skander and, and Seraphim. So they were a great team. But the more that I've watched this team throughout the season, I kind of understand why he did it. Because having Seraphim to play number three doubles is just, it's unbelievable. It's a luxury. I mean, it's a luxury, yeah. right? The guy's going to hold serve every yeah. single time. I mean, I don't really, I don't, I don't Dempster think he's going to give up. Yeah. And Dempster is a phenomenal doubles player, experienced guy. He's, you know, won professional <laughs> matches in doubles. So um, really in this match, I, I look for Wake to actually come out with a pretty dominant win. I don't, I, I think Illinois has the potential to maybe make a few courts close, but I do believe that Wake will win the doubles point. And then, you know, I look at Petros and Barbatzer in singles, and, and I just I don't see how Illinois is going to be able to win this match. I'm looking for maybe a 4-1 victory from, from the Deeks when it's all said and done. Chris, what about you? What are you thinking? If you're you're going to be at this match, right? Oh Yeah. I'll, what I'll court are you match. seated on? Uh, well, it's certainly not two because I think Petros walks away with two, especially if it's outdoors. I mean, Brown looked great indoors. Petros is just a beast, like you said. Uh, I think for me, I'm probably going to sit and and watch four, four and five. I like. I think five Illinois has got to win, but I think it could it it could be the four match that it, that ends up deciding. It. I'm going to drag you to Hiltzik Mansuri with me because that's where I'll be. Just the hair, the, the everything. I need to see it all in action. I've never watched Skander Mansuri play, so it's it's time. Um, I, you know, in terms of a prediction, again, it seems like you're leaning Wake Forest. That's where I'm leaning as well. Just especially if it's outdoors, I just think Wake Forest has a little bit too much. Yeah, I probably and of course I picked them, so you got to yeah, stick exactly. So I'll go. Four, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Guns, I'll yeah. go four two Wake Forest. I'm sorry, we can't quack without an editor, but our picks are in the shitter. Like, they <laughs> really sucked. So you know, it's not like it's going any better from here. Okay, let's get to our last batch of matches, and it's funny I gave Chris a look during the last thing Matt said because we had planned for 30 minutes, and of course, given the quality of tennis, we're closing in on the 50 minute mark. So we apologize for that, but it has really been that incredible, just the level of play. The round of 16 was a day, and if you're scheduling this for next year, come for the round of 16 because there's great tennis all day long, just so many fun people to see. Um, and speaking of well, which... Well, that would be a great idea, except that next year there will be no round of 16. Really? Oh, it's quarterfinals and all? Right. So next year they've the changed the format yeah, to the right. final eight. That's so, why they give you the press pass. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll still, be a, it'll still be a great first day, but that first day will be the round of eight. Now, what I don't know is if... Uh, if that Elite Eight, if they'll have four matches like we're going to see tomorrow with theoretically two matches at a time at two time slots, or if they'll schedule them four time slots like they had to do with the women today just because of the rate. But I, I actually like that. I like the four time slots because I don't want to have to go back and forth to try to see two different matches at once. I want to sit and watch all four of them indoors at Chapel Hill till midnight like I did last I night. I slept <laughs> in today, worked out, got a phone call in. I've had a morning, so I agree with you. Let's spread them out. I can't be that focused. Uh, yeah, Matt, again, any final thoughts on this Wake Forest Illinois matchup, or are you ready to move on to Chris's neck of the woods, the SEC? Well, we can move on to the SEC. I'm just I'm sticking with uh, with Wake. I picked them to win the tournament, so I do not see them falling. I like your commitments. Can I also say you picked one seed? To beat the two seed in the finals. I did, you know. By I the second podcast, you're being more creative. I didn't go out on much of a limb there. However, <laughs> when you look at it, we'll, we'll we'll talk again at the end of the tournament and see. I'm going to say your picks are still alive. Mine well, are well, back in Chapel Hill. <laughs> all I want to say is go check out the featured brackets on Slam Tennis mm -hmm. and see which one is on 
top. It might be college yes. penetrating. I don't know if we have a deal with Slam Tennis, so we might have to cut that plug there. But yes, <laughs> go check out the Slam Tennis brackets. That's very cool. I'm in for that. Okay, again, we're getting towards an hour, and it's getting goofy. So let's get to this last batch of matches. These were the nightcaps. I didn't get back to my hotel room till 1 a.m. Mom, I'm sorry, I polished off half a bottle of wine because I was just dead. I was like, I just need to unwind. Wine? You should be apologizing to us. <laughs> Tonight, we're going out for beer, yeah, okay? okay? This waistline doesn't keep itself, okay? Come on, I got to put in a little work. But let's talk with match number one at Wake Forest. Obviously, that was SEC foes. Texas A&M uh, yeah, and I'm Alabama. Blanking, of course. There's so many XCC teams, which credit to the SEC, but yeah. So Texas A&M, Alabama. Alabama really, you know, Ole Miss looked, I mean, I saw Ole Miss play, so I'm a little biased, but if you were going to say any team might be a little out of its league, it was probably Alabama going into the Sweet 16. It's fortunate for them that they got an SEC foe. You know, was there any continuity that helped their performance, or was it really just Texas A&M running away, man? It, it was pretty much A&M running away with it. Um, they were the superior team. Alabama just, you know, they, they showed up, but A&M just looked like they, they knew they were going to win. They were confident. They came out, played well. Um, you know, doubles was, was fairly convincing. Um, so that kind of put a point up on the board for them right away, and then they kind of ran away with it in singles. So it was uh, definitely, out of all the matches that were played at Wake Forest yesterday, it was by far the most convincing win. Yeah, and I think the we kind of knew going in that Alabama had to steal the doubles point and and that their best shots were going to be one and six because Grandin Kipson is, as you had mentioned, the, probably the best freshman uh, left in the draw, right? But uh, but Osama has been playing so well lately that he had a he's got a he's got a fighter's chance against anyone, and uh, and Zhao at six is is great uh, at a at a six spot, but. Two through five, I didn't see anything, and they did manage to grab a couple sets at one and six, but it was still a runaway for AM. Well, you mentioned this to me while we were sitting in Chapel Hill, just watching you go, oh, AM's playing Barnaby Smith at six. Like, I think they feel comfortable in this match, right? Because Smith won't be their guy moving forward, it'll be someone else. Yeah, AJ Catanzariti is their number six, who they had submitted, and, uh, and, you know, who, whether it was because they won the doubles point and they wanted to give him a little rest, he missed much of the year uh, with some shoulder problems. Uh, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's still nursing it a little. And they want him to heal up. Uh, I don't know. If that was the case, I'd be a surprise. They sent him to play futures before the SEC, but it could be the case. But I still, I fully expect to see Catanzariti tomorrow against Florida. They could have sent him to that tournament to get some match experience going in. You'd think if he has yeah. a good result, get a bunch of singles matches under his belt. But you know, Matt, you were there. I don't know if you keyed in on two doubles, but did you see Rinderneck and Catanzariti, and how did he look? I sure did. He looked he looked fine in doubles. I mean, I didn't notice anything physically wrong with him. He he seemed to be playing fine. So, uh, like Chris said, I definitely expect AJ to be back in their lineup uh, tomorrow when they take on Florida. So look for that, um, and and that should be a good one as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much more to add. This really was A and M cruising. We saw them practicing outdoors before we got here. Jordi Arcanada has decided to go with the, bron the blonde ramen noodle haircut. So, you know, you must be feeling confident as a team when you're rocking that hair outside. Both he uh, and AJ. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So A&M's looking good. Let's move on to our nightcap. I I'm not afraid to say this was the most exciting, you know, no offense, Michigan, exciting match of the day. And to have two SEC rivals, Florida and Ole Miss, a battle from the start to finish the doubles point so close. You have, I believe, two matches in this one going to a third set to decide it. 
and just you know you were there with me, Chris. Uh, let's start with the doubles play because I think Florida's doubles is phenomenal. I thought they might have even outplayed Ole Miss overall over the course of the hour doubles point, but when Ole Miss got hot, they really went on runs and. You know, you're looking for projecting Florida forward to lose this doubles point to Ole Miss. Kind of surprising. It, it was a little bit. Uh, you know, obviously they've got three great doubles teams. And the one that, that one that ended up costing the point, and that was the most surprising, was, was at three, where you had Kessler and Valle. They jumped up three love, four one, and too. looked to be rolling. And then, you know, and it was obviously so only one break, but they just, they didn't look like they were being pressured. And then all of a sudden the break back and then Ole Miss put the pressure on. And, and Fowler, Fowler is a great doubles player for Ole Miss. And he, uh, playing him at three dubs is a, that's a, that's a tough three doubles player. And he and Finn Reynolds really put a great comeback together to steal that doubles point at the end. Yeah. Again, I thought, like you mentioned, Kessler in particular, finally getting to see these people. You mentioned Kessler is the heart of the Florida team on our last podcast, and I didn't know what you meant, but to see them in person, he is always amping them up, you know, cheering on his teammates. We talked about Vale's mental struggles or just something that isn't allowing him to play right now, but he has all this talent, and when him and Kessler were rolling, you know, Kessler's pumping him up, and they were capable of some phenomenal doubles. Zoo and Red Licky were the most impressive team I saw all day, but Perez and Inglitson are a close second. They were just so strong at one doubles, and you know they won in this match six two over the number twenty two team in the country, Hamilton or Hamilton and San Cullen, and just that's a good result for Florida moving forward. You know Perez Blanco Crawford, that's one break of serve that could have gone either way, so you don't have to take away too much from that. But yeah, Florida. They shouldn't be losing a doubles point like that. And, you know, when they match up with Texas A&M, a team they've played before, they have to get the doubles point if they want to win. But let's talk about what we saw in singles as well. Obviously, a 4-3 match. It means both teams uh, are really competing in all of these. Florida ends up stealing the four singles matches they need. I want to skip over one singles because Hanson was clearly not well and Crawford just dusted him and I told you all about how much I love Oliver Crawford's game during this match so we can just kind of you know it wasn't a true test for Crawford that was a kind of a sure thing for Florida yeah absolutely without getting into it too much I think the only thing we'll say is the question for us because neither of us had really we didn't see him play out at, at Stanford the question was hey was he in the lineup to push everybody else down or was he in the lineup because he could play I think he was in the lineup to push everybody else down. I mean, he just, he, I made the comment and you had replied that, yeah, it's, it's country club tennis right now, right? He's, <laughs> he's out there. It's, it's two swings and a, and a, you know, it's like a guy that's injured. You're yeah, taking exactly. a couple swings and then slap away yeah, and it's either in or it's out. His dirty Arnold Palmer on yeah. the side and taking a yeah. swig. Exactly. So, but, but beyond that, uh, I mean, Ole Miss and I, and I had said this and it, for once, and this doesn't happen often, it kind of played out as I had kind of called it to play out, and that was for Ole Miss to win, they needed dubs, two, four, and find another. Well, they got dubs, they got two, they got four, and that were the, those were the matches I thought they could steal, and then they had to find another, and it looked for a while like they found it at six, and it all came down, right, it, they, had to, they had the lead 1-0, they had a lead 2-1, Florida gets a couple to go up 3-2, uh, and Ole Miss needs them both, but Sam Collins looking good at two. He's up a break in the third, and then all of a sudden, Ingleton goes down with a cramp, tapes a medical at game point at 2-3 for 2-4. Can I just say, 
it was so, again, sorry, so fucking hot in that Chapel Hill Stadium. It was humid and moist and warm and uncomfortable, and I lost five pounds sweating yesterday. <laughs> and that's why I was like, I need this wine. Like, I need something. <laughs> and it was just, like, how does that happen? Sorry, that's a tangent, but go on. Yeah, it was, it, it definitely that's was That's why hot. I think it, it was looks in cramps. But, but he, yeah, he, so he cramps and goes down at two, well, at the game point at 2-4, gets a point penalty, as you do in the, in the men's tennis in college, for, for taking the medical. Gets broken for 2-5. Looks like he's done. Manages to break back for 3-5. And on the break back, goes down again. And can't get up. And the match is over. It's a second medical and default. So he's out. It's now 3-all. And it's down to Kessler. Kessler starts out down 2-love in the third on 6. And all of a sudden, you're going, whoa. Reynolds, the guy that did it for them over Stanford at 6, is up a break 2-love in the third. And the narrative writes itself. And and then, as I told you during the match, Kessler will not lose at six. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, oh, look, don't make me wrong, McLean. And I, and I, I, oh, that was such a great match. And Kessler just fought like Kessler does. He fought back and got himself back in the match. We should say, full disclosure, you're in all Mississippi State gear now. You were wearing a Florida shirt last night. I caught you. They gave you a shirt I, beforehand. I was. So, you know, I can't, well, A, I grew up in Florida, a Gators fan. Sure. Not, a, not necessarily in tennis, but everything. And then B, they stole our assistant coach two years ago in Tanner Stump. So I have two reasons to love the Gators. And, and yeah, I was absolutely cheering all out for the Gators uh, and, had, and had, to get, had to ditch the hat and the shirt for Gator gear for the night match. Uh, and uh, I was there. quarterback, Danny Wuffel or Tim Tebow? Oh, come on. <laughs> Werfel. Uh, That's your guy. <laughs> Werfel for the, for the football. I mean, I'll go better baseball player, Tim Tebow. Okay, how about that? Right, Spurrier or Meyer? Who would you oh, rather Spurrier. have? Spurrier. Spurrier. I love Spurrier, man. Even the Tampa Bay Spoken Bandits like with a Spurrier. Southern guy. All right, what about you, man? Any thoughts on this match? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Florida was actually one of my dark horse picks heading Nine into well. this tournament to, to make a deep run. So I am happy that they made it through just so my pick could stay alive. Um, but. You know, the doubles point, like you said, Alex, is a little bit concerning. I thought for sure that they would have the advantage there, but Ole Miss does play great doubles, and uh, that's actually, that was their ticket to make it to the round of 16. They won two, four, three matches out at Stanford by winning both doubles points, so uh, the Rebels play great doubles. But yeah, Florida, I mean, it, they're tough. You know, I, I look at this and in all fairness to uh, Gustav Hansen, he is coming off injury, so I do know that he's a little bit rusty and he hasn't uh, quite been himself. So he's working his way back into it. But um, yeah, the Gators, they made it through, and I think they are a real threat from this point forward if uh, you know they can upset A&M, which I think is, is a possibility. Yeah, so so I know both both of these teams and lineups really well, right? And and A and M took it to them in College Station six one. Uh, it it was never even a match, but I don't expect that to happen again. I, I'll say this: I, the Florida recipe for success tomorrow is doubles three five and six. Crawford and Kipson are best friends. That's going to be yep. a hell of a match at one. I'm glued at that. That's going to be a great match, and it could go either way. At four. Uh, there's no way Val Vachero loses to Andy Andrade. That's not going to – that's a – well, I'll give that one to A&M right now. They've got four okay, gambling is legal. We'll go to the bank after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would agree with that. So so I think but, – but other than that, at Perez, obviously at three, 
even though he's playing Arcanada, who has like lost two SEC matches in two years, you'll always take a, your chance with him. So they've got a good shot there. At five and six, they've got good shots with Perez Blanco and Kessler. That's I think those are their best shots. Uh, so I, uh, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to. Doubles, three, five, six is kind of kind of watching those. And the swing match for me will act will be the match at five. Aguilar has been great. Uh, Perez Blanco has been great. And for once, I'm going to get to see two little guys duke it out. We see we've seen all these big, huge guys. Aguilar and Perez Blanco must be I, the the bigger ones, probably five nine, uh, <laughs> and 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 it's going to be fun to watch these two guys just grind it out from the baseline. Well, if Can Tanzaridi is actually hurting, the last guy you'd want to play is McLean Kessler. He's just this going to make true. you think about yourself. So much energy, you really have to be focused, and just every pain will hurt that much more. I like Rinderneck at two for A and M. I think that's another lock. I just think Englitson. We saw him in full cramps. You wonder how he's going to recover. You wonder if Rinderneck, you know, the Englitson forehand sits up a little bit as we discussed yesterday, and that's a good matchup for a big guy like Rinderneck who will sit in his strike zone. If Crawford can beat Kipson, it means Florida has a shot. If you know, if they're still playing deep into the third before the match finishes, it means Florida's probably doing better than we expected. It's going to be a tough match. I don't know. I need a second to think, Matt. What are you thinking? Yeah, you know, when you look at it, uh, I'm looking at it, and I, I see a recipe for both teams to really come out with a win here. They're, both coaches are obviously going to really harp on the doubles point. That is going to be a massive, massive point in this match. And, you know, obviously I think we can probably all agree that whoever does win that dubs point is going to have a big-time advantage going into the singles because they only have to win three. Um, I I think if Crawford is able to beat Kipson, which I don't know if he can, I think it's going to be a great match. I think that might be Florida's ticket to an upset here if Crawford's able to beat Kipson because I, it's I tough like, everywhere else. It, it's tough everywhere so else, much and gap. I like I like McLean down low at six. I really do. So you know, if the, if Florida's able to win doubles, McLean wins. And Oliver beats Kipson. They all, I like their shot to get one other one other match there. Who's top three do you like better, Chris? A and M's or Florida's? Would you rather go Crawford, Inglitson, Perez at three? And I watched. I was on the Perez match the entire time yesterday because I was just I was confused. He's a junior, a guy who used to be top five in the country, a guy who's played as high as one. Why is he at three? Yes, he struggled with his backhand a little bit yesterday. You can see he's kind of lacking in confidence, but the power on the serve, his movement, his ability to protect his forehand. Yes, it was indoors, but he looked phenomenal. So I, I kind of like him over Arcanada. I've never really seen Arcanada in person yet. I like Rinderneck at two. And then, like we've said, all right, Kipson Crawford is a toss-up. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think if, if you're going to go, hey, the top three are going to go out and play ten times, and whoever takes two out of three wins the point, I still think you give the edge to A&M. Uh, I mean, they're, they're a little more a little more experience. Um, I just I think they're just a just a little more solid. The Florida A&M just hasn't they haven't gone through that point in the season where they've really had their struggles, right? They went undefeated in the regular season in the SEC, and and Florida lost several matches. And they kind of you know they've got they've got some freshmen. They've got you know a team that's just kind of getting together. We've talked about this. Next year they're going to be unbelievable. I I think you know that they've had and they've had their ups and downs. A&M's just they've just been the rock, and you. You kind of, and I know, I know both teams well. I know several of the folks on the team, so it's 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 hard to to go one way or the other. But A and M is just so solid. I I want to see something out of the ordinary happen, but it's gonna it's 
it's really going to be hard to, to I'll take say it again. Down. It's a year early for Florida. They're probably just a bit too soon. I like a, uh, actually, you know what? Screw it. Here's where I'm making my stand. Crawford beats Kipson. Florida takes it 4-3. Okay, I'm, I'm still going to stick with A&M. Okay, settle down, Alex. I, I, settle down, Alex. Just just a little bit. But honestly, I will not be shocked by either result. If Florida does happen to pull the upset, you know, it's not mind-blown or anything like that. I mean, I think we'll all be able to understand how that happened. But um, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with A&M, and I did pick A&M 4-3. I'm going to stick with that, but I think it's going to be – I think it could be a barn burner. So I want to bring you guys back. For another podcast, so I'm going to reserve the right to do projections about the quarterfinals, all of that stuff later on. We'll, you know, I'm bringing you guys back on tomorrow. We'll review all of the quarterfinal action and go from there, projecting our semis. But I want to do one more thing before we go. You know, there won't be a drum roll this time, other than what we're making on the table. But we do a segment on this show every time called the Changeover Chat. Usually, I ask Fligner to cue the drum roll, please, and it sounds something like this. And I'd say, Max, it's time for this week's changeover chat. And he would go, the changeover chat. <laughs> and so that was my best impression. That, that was great. <laughs> Thank you. That's a little something for you guys. But I want to end by asking you each five questions about what we saw yesterday and what we are going to be seeing moving forward. Please don't give me too much depth because we're already over the hour 10 mark. And at this point, our listeners are like, all right, let's get done with it. So I have a couple rapid fire questions for you guys that I want to ask. So let's rock and roll best moment you saw yesterday you're just most enjoyable moment it could be any particular match for you you know when your nephew won or just anything like that okay i've got two obviously my nephew clinching breaking for the win and just sprinting over to the team with the chest bump is the most uh, obviously the most enjoyable but two from a fun standpoint watching Roditi go absolutely apeshit. He stole one of mine. Stomping, it's throwing his fault. hat, throwing his hat down, jumping up and down. I oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Un- unbelievable. I yeah, loved after it. That, I loved it. Yeah, held sick. There are a lot of good hooks yesterday. <laughs> That'll. I'll get to my moments. But what about your best moment? Um. Yeah. Well, here at Wake, we didn't have anything quite that crazy with any of the coaches or anything. But my my favorite moment of the day was probably uh, Forge clinching. Uh, the upset for the Trojans over over Carolina. That was that was a great moment. He battled back from a set down, was fighting against Bo Boyden, who has won a ridiculous amount of matches this year. He has an absurd record. Um, I think he's only lost like one match all all season long. So that was it was a massive moment for USC. So that's going to be my moment from yesterday. Sure, I have you know you stole my moment with David Roditi. That was another one I really enjoyed. Another, there are two other moments I want to mention. One, Perez, who is the player he played for Ole Miss? Starts with a K. Krajewicz. Phil Krajewicz. Phil Krajewicz. So, I think it was like the third game of the match, and Krajewicz was very frustrated with some of Perez's calls. And let me say, there were a ton of questionable calls in that match. It was awesome. And at one point, they start they start chirping at each other uh, at the changeover, and I don't, you know. I don't know much Spanish, but I know when they're swearing. And he looks at Perez and goes, ah, puta. And he just is swearing. And I was just like, this is awesome. The other one is it was a, there was a TCU fan in the crowd next to just the huge Illinois contingent. And when they were doing their A, B, immediately after, she'd be like, go, frogs. And she thought she was so clever. And I was just like, I love the college tennis fans. They're so funny. Uh, so it was amazing. I really enjoyed all those moments yesterday. We used this, and I just gave my answer but best hook you saw. Ooh. You, you want to give the Duke story today? 
I can give the Duke story today. So definitely uh, this one's a doozy. So court four, um, Texas Tech versus Duke. In the women's quarterfinals. In, in the women's quarterfinals. I'll try to make this as brief as possible. But the Duke player um, hit a ball on the far side of the court on the baseline. The Texas Tech player called it out. And uh, it was overruled by the chair umpire. So they started to go nuts. The coach from Texas Tech came over and dropped a few F-bombs to the chair umpire. And he promptly got his player defaulted out of the match, or so we thought defaulted out of the match after that. And he was actually escorted out of the facility (laughs) as well. So it was quite the scene. But... The strangest thing that I've ever seen in a college tennis match, about 10 minutes later, the players were still on the court cheering for their other teammates, and uh, one of the head officials came back out onto the court and said, uh, guys, we're, we're reinstating the match. You're going to have a five-minute warm-up, and then we're going to continue play That's ridiculous. Uh, where we left off at the, at the same point in the set. And the only, penal- the only penalty for Texas Tech was a single penalty point penalty that was assessed to the player and and that was it and then they finished their match but I do have to say that Kelly Chen of Duke did not lose a single game after that whole fiasco so she was able to close it out and Duke did advance but that was a hell of a moment uh in a, in the it's women's quarterfinal and as a Duke fan now you must have been a little excited yeah, it, well, I was shocked at first, but, you know, just I, because I haven't seen a scene like that. I've been to hundreds of college matches, and I've never seen anything like that. But, uh, you know, in the end, they were able to overcome it, so that was that was great for the Blue Devils. What about you, Chris? I don't, you know, there were a lot, as you said, there were a lot of questionable calls. I don't know that I really saw one that I thought was just an absolute all-out hook. I, the one that I will remember the most is the first set breaker with Nuno and Sigsgard. Nuno hits a ball down, it's 6-3. He hits a ball down the line. Sigsgard calls it out. Nuno looks up at the chair, just questioning, and the chair goes, no, the ball was good, and I'm sitting right there on the line, and I'm sorry. You know, it's, yeah, I want to win the set, but the ball was wide, and I have no idea how that chair umpire overruled and called it good. And, if I, and I'll give credit to Sigsgard. He, he could have gone nuts. It was the set that he lost. That ball was wide. It should have been 6-4, and they should, still should have been going. So I'll give the hook to the umpire in that <laughs> one, and that's my that's the, the best one I saw. Another today. umpire hook, Rybakov versus Vukic. Rybakov let this just slow, floating shank land like near side service line, so like the, the line judge is right over the call. Calls it out, even though he would have just smacked the winner if he wanted, and the line judge overrules him, and Rybakov lost it. Yeah, I, and that's why Rudidi was also. I remember that as well. And it was well. just like, come on, man. Like, this is stupid. Okay, we quick discussion, best uniforms. I say the Florida Blacks. I know you like the old Miss Stripes. I love Even though you're those. in a Mississippi State uniform now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I, I, mean, I, I love the teams that break out the new unis yeah. for, the, for NCAs, and I absolutely loved those old Miss Stripes. For those that haven't seen it, go check out any of the pics on Twitter. Go look up the old Miss account. But they Atletico had Atletico Madrid. Uh, yeah, they were kind of that. They had that soccer feel on the front, and then the back uh, was half stripe and a solid blue on the bottom. But uh, but I I love that look. Yeah, well that's interesting. We didn't have anything that crazy over at <laughs> over at you Wake. Plain colors. Uh, p- more plain colors, but I mean, if I had to pick one, I'm probably going with. You know, honestly, maybe Minnesota because they have that yellow in there and it's just, it's a little bit of a different kind of color. So that one stands out a little bit more. 
Interesting. So I may go with, I like that I may go with the gophers. It's a good aesthetic. It's, it's a contrast to everything else you're saying. I like that answer a lot. Okay, two more, and then we'll get out of here. Favorite player you've seen you're not allowed to say a Mississippi State person, Chris? Oh, my gosh. My favorite player I've seen. Tough one. I know there's a lot of good play. Yeah, I, I think just because because of the indoors and because I'd never seen him and, and loved I loved watching Keegan Smith. Yeah. That just that monster serve so and the, and the freshman just to see that like yeah, he's got more game than his head knows what to do with. Exactly. Right? I mean, he's you can tell that he's got so many choices that he's just he doesn't know what he's going to be so good. Uh, that it was it it was it was fun watching that. So that's probably uh, probably one of the, the favorites I saw. What about you? Yeah, my answer is is going to be an obvious one, but Petros from Wake is is my favorite player to watch. I mean, I can sit down and watch one of his matches any any day, any time, you name it. He's just so smooth, and and he played extremely well yesterday against Columbia. Got off. He was down a break early in the first set, but then turned it around immediately and won 12 out of 13 straight games. So, I'm going to cheat and give two answers. The best player I saw was Red Lickey. Red Lickey, just the weapons, his cap- the capability of his forehand, his serve. He was so comfortable, and he knows what to do when he's playing with a lead. And to have that trait as a college player, to have that experience, to be able to protect your serve is so valuable. So I will be looking forward to watching him moving forward. My favorite player I saw was Reese Stalder, the number four singles player for TCU. Him and Johnson put together just such a great performance in doubles. And then Stalder's a guy who will just slap winners. He'll pull it out of nowhere. He'll, you know, his forehand's very wristy. He plays a lot of slice feel, comes to the net a lot. It was a really fun game to watch. And, you know, like Max Rothman, also a ginger. So it was, you know, aesthetically another pleasing thing. Uh, but it was just, it was fun to watch. I, I really liked Reese. I thought, you know, it, it was not, you know, unfortunately TCU was kind of an insurmountable challenge, but he put together a great effort. Okay, our last question as we preview for tomorrow. Give me your favorite matchup of two teams and your favorite individual match to watch for. Oh, well, so I'm going, obviously, a homer, right? <laughs> and the favorite match has to be Nuno and Torpegard. I mean, that's, uh, you gotta, by you gotta ranking, be. By by anything? By, yeah. Over I mean, Kipson Crawford? I mean, yeah, I know, you know, I know you love Crawford's <laughs> game, right? And I'm and I'm a Gator guy, but there's something about that celebration for Crawford, the, just the way Come he on. does it, the throwing that fist across the front of his chest yeah, when he wins the big now. point. Yeah, I uh, you know I, I don't know it doesn't it, it, there's something that I it doesn't make me a huge fan, but but I but but yeah, you're looking at Torpegard, who's been was the guy, but yeah, regardless of what he's ranked. Everybody knows when you're looking at yeah you're looking at Petros and him really is the guys you're going that's will. the guys yeah. and will and and Nuno so I Nuno and that's got to be uh, that's got to be it and obviously I'm I'm glued to the Mississippi State Ohio State match that's you see how I snuck in another Blumberg plug that's, there. yeah you, I, you keep you keep sneaking those in but you know I, it's it's so far in the past you have to wait till individuals come and he's actually playing again seriously what about you man I I'm gonna go with. The two Pac-12 schools. I'm gonna go UCLA, USC. If you steal I, my matchup, I'm about to be furious. I think. I think this. I, I probably won't, but I think this match has the potential. Uh, I was to be, kidding, by the way. I won't actually be furious. Red Lickey and all. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, Chris, you got ahead of me there. You know. You know where I was going with it already, but. Um, no, I think this dual match actually has the potential to be a lot better 
than people might think. I think a lot of people are, are going to count on UCLA to get the job done. Don't count out the Trojans at all. I'm still picking UCLA, but I think it can be a really good match. And, of course, like Chris said, my matchup to watch is going to have to be on court one, Redlicky and Holt. Um, you know, two phenomenal players. Redlicky has gotten the better of Brandon uh, throughout this season so far. Could the flip script tomorrow? We'll find out. I think it could. So I have, I, I don't disagree with either of you. I'm going to cheat again and give a couple of answers. I'm happy you, you stole two members of the matchup, but the doubles matchup I'm most excited for, Redlicky Zoo, Holt Smith. That is just two teams, top ten in the country, so explosive, just anything could happen. You know, they're rivals. They've played four times now this year. It's going to be something special. In terms of the singles matchup I'm watching for, I said this earlier, Crawford Kipson. Two freshmen, you're not sure what they're capable of. This is an alpha dog type of matchup where it's the top guy, you know, really proving his worth. These guys are friends. You know it's going to be a spirited match. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch. Uh, that's one to look out for. And then in terms of the matchup I'm watching, you know, both of you guys make great points, but I want to see this Wake Forest team tested at home. I've never seen Wake Forest play, so I'm also a little biased that I finally get to do that. But this Illinois team has a ton of depth. They're not going to be intimidated by the crowd because they bring their own noise. And it's an interesting, you know, a senior lace team with Vukic and Hiltzik up top, guys who have been there before. And, you know, if anyone's going to put a scare into them, it could be this Illinois team. It will be interesting. You know Wake Forest isn't, you know, invulnerable at home. They have lost here before. It's going to be really fun to watch, and I'm really excited for tomorrow's tennis. Yeah? Yep. You guys, I mean, Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm ready. Absolutely. And we're at the hour 20 mark of this podcast, so it seems as it's good a good thing time. we cut it off at 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. There is <laughs> so much for that. 20 to 25, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. West office somewhere smiling and laughing. Well, you know, both of you, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this. As I mentioned, we will try to do this again before we go. You know, we're in Wake Forest. It's such a rare occasion, so I'm so happy to have you both here. Um, Chris, you are now a veteran of the pod, obviously. What's mine is yours, so anytime you want on, same thing with you, Matt. And one last time, for myself, Alex Gruskin, for my guests, Chris Halioris, Matt Stachowiak, our super producers, Fligner and Westhoff, who aren't actually doing anything for this episode, but are here in spirit, and the entire Crack Rackets team. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. We'll be back with you tomorrow, and we say to you, this is where you say, hey, great shot, guys. I'm not going to be able to cut that because we don't have a producer. But And we say to you, hey, great shot. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys.